Well, today we're going to jump in. You know, what we celebrate at Christmas is the incarnation of Jesus. That 2,000 years ago, God put on flesh and entered into the human story. And Jesus came down. When he enters into the human story, he enters in at a very pivotal moment in human history. And, and what we see in hindsight is, is that his mission, what he came to accomplish, was far greater than just a, a, a mission that was centered on the first century world. And what he came to accomplish was so much bigger than anybody really understood at that time. And it was so much bigger than overthrowing the Roman, Roman Empire. And what he came to accomplish was far greater than any empire in human history or that will ever be, uh, for that matter. And so... Where uh, can we go to find what Jesus claims his mission is? If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. And what we're going to be doing over this Christmas season is we're going to be looking at what Jesus reads in this passage out of the Isaiah scroll, what his mission is. And so Jesus is, in this passage, just some context here, he's returning uh, to Galilee after being tested in the wilderness for 40 days, he was baptized in the Jordan. He receives the affirmation of his father in heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. He's in the wilderness for 40 days being tested. He returns in the power of the spirit to Galilee and then makes his way to the synagogue in Nazareth. And so what we're gonna be doing is looking at the different elements of Jesus mission, and we're going to read the passage, and then we'll, we'll talk specifically about it. So Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. It says, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's amazing about this is Jesus is just doing what his custom was. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Somebody hands him the Isaiah scroll and he reads out of Isaiah chapter 61, which this was a prophecy about the coming Messiah, about the suffering servant, about what he would come to accomplish on the earth. And Jesus, after he reads it, he sits down and everybody's looking at him. And so he just looks at him and he says, this passage is about me. Today, this passage, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. And they're all thrilled about it. And five minutes later, through some circumstances that we're not going to get into today, they want to kill him. Right? And so what we're going to do today is we're looking at the reality that Christ came to proclaim liberty, freedom for the captives. And in a little bit, we're also going to talk about an opportunity I've been sort of teasing over the last several weeks because God has given us an incredible opportunity, Grace Chapel, to engage in freedom work overseas. But first, what does it mean that Christ came to proclaim liberty to the captives? Now, 
first we need to acknowledge what's true in the room today. And what's true is some of us, some of you are moving toward Jesus, but you've yet to surrender your life to Jesus. You've yet to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, not just Savior, but also Lord, right? And scripture tells you, which you'll see in a second here, the scripture tells you that if that's you, if you've yet to surrender your life to Christ, scripture tells you that you are a slave, You are enslaved to sin. You might not have known that. You are a slave to sin. And sin being not just the bad things that you do, but the selfish reasons for the good things that you do. It's not just your bad actions, it's your selfish motives for your good actions. And when you view sin that way, you recognize that sin permeates life apart from the freedom that Christ has won for us. So if you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus, you are a slave to sin. Others of us, you've made the decision to trust in Christ for salvation. You've heard the gospel. You've confessed with your mouth. You believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you have been saved. You you are no longer a slave to sin. In fact, you've been delivered from the penalty of sin because of the finished work of Jesus. However, how many of you know That you can be free from the penalty of sin, but still live under the power and oppression of sin all throughout your life. So you can be freed from the penalty of sin, but still live under the power of sin. And so I've got a quick theology lesson for us today. So hang, hang with me here. There is a difference between justification and sanctification. Justification could be defined this way. Justification is when a slave of sin is set free and declared righteous by God at the moment of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So some scripture for you. Romans chapter four, verse 25. Jesus Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised from the dead for our what? Justification. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin to become sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So at the moment of salvation, you are declared righteous by God. You are the righteousness of Christ. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be what? enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. What all of this is telling us is that at the very moment you trust in Christ for salvation, you surrender your life to him, he becomes your Lord and your savior. He is the commander of your life. The moment you trust in him by grace, through faith, You are no longer a slave to sin. You are set free. You are justified. You are declared righteous. Another way to think about justification, uh, some of you have probably heard this, it's just as if I've never sinned, right? So God declares you righteous as if you've never sinned. How incredible is that? And all, all that's required of you is that you trust in him, that you entrust your life to him and you are justified, you are deemed righteous by God as if you have never sinned when you trust in the finished work of Christ. But there is a difference between justification and sanctification. 
Okay, the way I like to define sanctification, very simple, the process of becoming like Jesus. Right? You can become like Jesus. In fact, that's God's desire for us. That's his will for us, that we become like Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus are being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. We're in the process of becoming like Jesus. Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So justification, it's when you entrust your life to Jesus, he saves you, delivers you from sin, and you are declared the righteousness of Christ. You are holy, you are blameless, you are accepted, you are a son and daughter of God. That's justification. Sanctification is the process after that moment where you are being made into the image of Christ, where the Holy Spirit is changing you and transforming you. Why the theology lesson? For this reason. You and I need to understand that you can be a follower of Jesus and having been set free from the penalty of sin in your life, still living under the oppression and the power of sin in your life, right? So, so let's look what Paul says in Galatians chapter five. It's, he says, for it is for freedom that Christ has set, past tense, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not do what? Submit again to a yoke of slavery. So is it possible to be freed by Christ from sin and submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery to sin? Yes. If it were not possible, Paul would not command us not to do it. Right? Now, some of you, like me, okay, had a tremendous amount of baggage when you came to Christ. <laughs> uh, from about 12 to 19 years old, I was an expert at sin. I was really good at it, right? And, and I had a lot of years of, of practice. And when Jesus saved me, he saved me from the penalty of sin. I was justified, I was declared righteous, and Jesus broke off of me the shackles of addiction. He set me free. And in a moment, there was a lot leading up to it, but in a moment, I went from being a heroin addict to a child of God, chosen, beloved, accepted, declared the righteousness of Christ in an instant. Right? And, and th so I'm delivered from the penalty of my sin. I, I remember uh, uh, being a few days old as a follower of Jesus, and I didn't know how to hear the voice of God, but I just grabbed a, a notepad and a pen, and I walked out in the, the woods. I was living out in Kingston Springs, and um, just sat under this tree and just wrote down this question, God, am I right with you? And I just sat there for a while and, and I just had this overwhelming sense that God was saying something to me. It wasn't audible, but it was just this sense that God, was, and so I began to write down what he was saying. And as I thought about all the years of pain and grief and sorrow with friends overdosing and all that comes with a life of addiction, all the destruction that uh, I'd lived through and that I had caused in people's lives. And I'm sitting there thinking about all that. And I just, I, so I just wrote down 
as I sensed the Lord saying to me, Rob, you aren't just right with me, you're my son. And I love you. And that is never gonna change. Y'all, I wept for two weeks. I could not stop crying. And I'm pretty sure my friends were like, what is wrong with you? Like, what is happening? Right, but I was justified. I was set free from the penalty of sin. And, and there is a day coming where not only will we be set free from the penalty of sin, there's a day coming where we will be set free ultimately from the very presence of sin. Like, we won't even hear sin's whisper in our ears. Like, it will be gone. We will be completely pure. Oh man, I'm looking forward to that day. So between this day and that day, so being delivered from the penalty of sin and one day being free from the presence of sin, in the meantime, we are being saved, we are being freed from the power of sin. And Christ wants to set us free from the power of sin. So when Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free, to proclaim liberty for the captives, he's extending an invitation to every single person in human history to be saved from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. Right? Penalty happens at the moment of salvation. We're saved from the penalty of sin. When we go home to heaven or Christ calls us home, we're saved from the presence of sin. In the meantime, we're being saved from the power of sin. And some of us have been set free from the penalty. We've surrendered our lives to Christ, but we still need some level of freedom over the power of sin in our lives. So this week, uh, uh, our staff, some of our staff were having a conversation about this, and we, we just started asking, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, uh, whether it's us or people we know or people in the co- what are some things that people need to be set free from? They've been saved, but we need freedom. We need some level of freedom in our lives. What, is, what, what are some things? And um, I don't know if they were thinking of any specific stories in particular, but here's the list that they gave us. Short temper, spirit of offense, compulsive spending, the sin of gossip, alcoholism, drugs, pornography, sexual immorality and promiscuity, fear, anxiety, depression, unforgiveness, bitterness, a critical spirit, entitlement, comparison with others, fear of man, insecurity, the need for approval from other people, the need for recognition, for job well done, the need for status, the need for power, the love of money, reputation, jealousy, resentment, the need to be freed from a bad medical diagnosis. I mean, how many of you in the room still need some level of freedom from the power of sin in your life? That's all of us. Every single one of us. And here's what I want you to know. There is freedom available for you today. There is freedom available to you. And some of us, we aren't walking in the freedom that Christ has won for us because we don't believe it's possible to be free. And so I want to challenge you today, don't waste the freedom that Christ has won for you. Right? Like just the way I've been thinking about this this last week, you know, if I could ask for freedom, like if I could ask for, you know, for a Christmas present from God, what would I ask for? And I think I'd ask him for freedom. 
where I still need to appropriate the freedom that he's won for me. I'd ask him for the faith to believe that he wants to set me free from things that I'm still, that I'm still struggling with. Right? I, I want to be free from the power of sin. And so, so here's, here's what I want you to recognize. You can be free from sin. It is possible. Amen, somebody? Okay, so, but here's what I want you to know. You aren't just freed from sin. You are freed for a life of purpose. You are freed for kingdom impact in this life. You are freed to make a difference in this world. You are freed not only for your sake, it is for your sake, but it's not just for your sake. You are freed for the sake of those closest to you, You are freed for the sake of the people that God wants to send you to go reach. And if you are not appropriating the freedom that Christ has won for you, you are settling for a half-hearted, mediocre Christian life. And we don't want to see that happen for anybody. I want to see us, God wants to see us appropriate all of the freedom, to apprehend all of the freedom that he has already won for us. On a recent visit with some pastors in the area, uh, one of them phrased it such a powerful way. He, he just asked this question. He said, what is, the, what is the sin that is keeping you from running? What is the sin that is keeping you from living up to your full God-given potential in life? What is the sin that's entangling you? What is keeping you at a mediocre life? What is distracting you from making an impact? What is keeping you at an average capacity for world change? What sin is keeping you from running the race that's ahead of you? And he's referring to Hebrews 12 where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside or throw off every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I don't know about you, I want to run. I don't want to settle for just a mediocre average Christian life. I want to run the race with endurance. I want to get to the end of the race knowing that I have spent everything for Christ. That I am depleted for the cause of Christ. Some of you say, you know, Rob, I've been following Jesus for a while now and I just don't really feel like I'm, I'm changing all that much. It's not happening like it does for, for other people and I just don't think God is changing me. And, and I just challenge you because some of you aren't changing because even though you've been justified by Christ, you're not trusting that Christ wants to bring more levels of freedom into your life and you've just settled. Um, and you say, you know, I want the benefits of Jesus but I don't really want to have to change. I don't want to have to change my habits or my lifestyle or how I'm living. I want the benefits of being saved. (laughs) I want to go home to heaven when I die, but I don't really want to do what would be required of me in order to become like Jesus, because that's hard work. And here's what you need to know. Jesus loves you, that's true. But what I want you to recognize is that whenever Jesus comes on the scene and he forgives somebody of their sin or sets them free, you know what he tells them afterwards? Go and do what? 
sin no more, which requires something of you. Go and sin no more. So we want Christ to change us, but the question for us today is are we willing to change for Christ? We want God to do the work as we're just passively sitting there going, okay. No, God is willing to put in the work. Are you willing to put in the work? Are you appropriating the freedom that Christ has won for you? That requires something of you. Going and sinning no more requires something of you. So the challenge for us today is don't waste what he came for. Don't waste the freedom that Christ has won for you. Don't make allowances for sin in your life. Don't allow yourself to become entangled with the weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Throw off every weight and live in the full freedom that Christ has won for you and watch and see what God does. Don't waste what he came for. And and here's what I want you to think about. It, It says in the passage that he is proclaiming liberty for the captives. So he's saying liberty for the captives. Now, if the God who created the world with a word proclaims liberty over your life, is there anything that can hinder that? If he can create the universe with a word and he comes down and says, freedom for the captives, it's done. You are free. The challenge is to apprehend and appropriate the freedom and live in the freedom that Christ has won for us. I want you to see this uh, in this passage. Verse 19, he says, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this requires some unpacking. So in uh, the Jewish Hebrew tradition, and in the scripture, every, every week there is a day of rest. There is what's called the Sabbath, right? We've talked about this. And every week was a Sabbath, and then every seventh year was a Sabbath year. And then every seventh Sabbath year was called the year of Jubilee. And in the days of the Old Testament, whenever somebody threw misfortune or bad crops or poor judgment... Whenever they would come to a place uh, where they were so in debt that they couldn't, pay, couldn't possibly pay off the debt, they would um, become an indentured servant in order to pay off the debt. And oftentimes what would happen is the, the debt was so large that they would never be able to pay it off. And so what would happen over time is uh, people that were already wealthy and kind of uh, on their way to success would become more and more wealthy and the people who weren't would become more and more impoverished. And so the disparity between the wealthy and the poor would become greater and greater. And so what you have is in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God sets up the nation of Israel so that every seventh year, God says it's a Sabbath year. And what would happen on the Sabbath year is every debt would be forgiven. Every debt would be forgiven. Think about the implications of that. I mean, somebody's got to pay the price for that debt being forgiven, right? And so every seven years, a debt would be forgiven. And on top of that, every servant, every slave would be released, would be set free. That's what, ha- that's what would happen every seven years. So the land also, it would rest on the Sabbath year. So people would not till the land and they would eat from what they've stored up and not till the fields. And so what would happen on the Sabbath year? Everybody rested, the land rested, 
every debt was forgiven, and all slaves went free. That's pretty incredible. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But in Leviticus 25, we have a description of what's called the year of Jubilee. And so every seven days is the Sabbath day, every seven years is the Sabbath year, and every seventh Sabbath year is the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, it was far more extensive than even the Sabbath year because not only were all debts forgiven, not only were all the servants and slaves set free, but if you somehow lost your family's land, if you, through poor judgment or, or misfortune or whatever, somehow you, had to, you lost your family's land, what would happen on the year of Jubilee is that land would be returned to you. And you would be given a running start at life so that you can set up financial security for the future of your family. So that you would have an economic kind of reset for your family. You'd be given another shot. And so the whole purpose of the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee was to help all those who were in a cycle of poverty and enslavement that there was no way for them to get out of. There was no escape. And so God set up in, the, this, in this culture so that those people would have a second shot. They'd have a second chance to be given a shot and a running start economically for the future of their family. How incredible is that? Think about that. So, so nobody was giving out more than seven-year loans. Nobody's giving out a 30-year loan, Right? <laughs> But look at this. When Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he's saying, I've come to proclaim the year of Jubilee. Jesus is saying, I have come to forgive every debt. I have come to set every captive free. I have come to give those who've blown it, which is everyone, by the way, another shot. I've come to forgive all debts. I've come to set the captives free and I've extended an open invitation into my family, not as servants, not as slaves, but as friends, as sons, as daughters, as brothers, as sisters. But in order to forgive the debt, somebody's got to pay. Right? If you're a creditor and you forgive a debt, you're paying. You're the one who's making the sacrifice. It's the person forgiving the debt that has to pay, right? And Jesus in Luke chapter four, he's saying, your debt is so large. He's saying this to us. Your debt is so large that you can never pay it off. But I've come down not to collect on the debt. I've come to pay the price. I've come to lay down my life so that you could be forgiven, so that you could go free. You don't need to pay the debt. I will pay it for you. That's what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter four. Is that not incredible? And so church, listen, as we are following Jesus, as Jesus is changing us and making us more like him, and as we're living on mission with Jesus, we have an opportunity to pay the price. As Jesus has paid the price for us, we have an opportunity to to pay the price, to make a sacrifice for people who through severe misfortune, through manipulation, through deception, have found themselves in a debt that they will never be able to pay off. Enslaved and generationally doomed families, and these are followers of Jesus on the other side of the world, they are doomed to a life of indentured servitude. And they are enslaved in brick kilns in Asia. And I've got to talk in more broad terms uh, about this. So uh, uh, brick kilns in Asia. 
And so what we're doing uh, this Christmas season, and in years past, we've done you know, Operation Christmas Child, we've done the shoe boxes, we've uh, done Hands of Grace. This is what we're doing for our end of year campaign this year. And we're partnering with our friends over at Conduit Church who have pioneered this effort. And, uh, and I just absolutely love the fact that we have an opportunity to link arms with another church in our area that's doing kingdom work. Because it's not about our little K kingdoms. It's about what we can do together to advance the capital K kingdom. And so let me just answer some, some give you some details around what happens, okay? So typically, those that find themselves enslaved in brick kilns in Asia, in South Asia, the way they find themselves in this situation is one of two things. One is a family member, there's an injury or an illness, and they go to the hospital to have that illness or that injury treated, and the medical bills are so high that they can't pay them. They don't have insurance, they don't have enough money to pay the medical bill. And so they take out a loan. And when they take out a loan, the loan is at such a high interest rate that there's no way they'll be able to pay it off. And so then, they have to, then they're forced into slavery in these brick kilns in Southeast Asia. And for every hundred bricks that they make, they earn $4. And um, so on top of that, they are forced to live in the brick kiln with their family. So if it's a, a family of five, you'll see an example of this in a minute, a family of five, uh, they're forced, the, all of them are forced to go live in the brick kiln and work, and they have to pay rent for where they're staying in the brick kiln. So there's no way out. The second way that people find themselves in this situation is a family member who was enslaved passes away and then the debt is then passed to them and they and their family are then enslaved and forced into slave labor as well. So you have entire families with a debt that is unpayable that will then be passed on to their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren uh, and the, the debt will just keep growing bigger and bigger. Now, what we're able to do is through our partnership with our friends over at Conduit and with uh, relationships that we've built with attorneys overseas is to pay off the debt, to set these families free. And, and here's what you need to know. When the debt is paid off, uh, it's, it's official. So we film the, the signing of the documents. They're, it's filmed, it's documented, it's notarized, and it is legally binding and irrevocable. So it is completely documented, it is fail-safe, and when, the, when we move, this is the beautiful thing about this, when we move the family out of the brick kiln, when we set them free from the brick kiln, that, it doesn't end there. It's not like, okay, good luck, now figure it out. We set them free, and then we take them into a community that's not near where they've been working, so we move them into a safe house and a safe community that's, that's run and supported by a network of churches in the area. And we find out, and we've done this before, we've set them free, we find out what skills are in that family. And we actually set them up with a small business in the new community that they're living in. And so these families, they go from generationally doomed to slavery to business owners in a weekend. So this is incredible. This year alone, our friends over at Conduit, they've already freed 154 families. Yeah, yeah. 
And so here's what I want you to know. There are currently over 100 families that have been vetted and approved for freedom. And these families, these are, these are Jesus-loving families. So we are freeing persecuted Christians from slavery. That's the work that we're doing. Okay, so what is the vetting process? Well, because we're freeing persecuted Christians, one of the first things that we're doing, so in the evenings, these, uh, this network of churches, they're going into the brick kilns and they're ministering to the people in the kilns. And as they're doing that, they're building relationship and discovering that some of these families, after they've given their lives to Jesus, are then suffering horrendous abuse, like a physical, sexual, horrendous abuse. Um, and so what happens is as these people are ministering there, they have a list of vetted people, the people that are experiencing violence, they're, un, they're in danger. They rise to the top of the list as the priority for freedom. So there's over a hundred families that are currently on that list. Uh, and, uh, you ask, well, Rob, doesn't freeing all these people crush the workforce? Uh, no, because the way we're doing this, the vetted families are across dozens of kilns in Asia. And so we're slowly and methodically freeing families in a way that keeps this work under the radar, right? And, and so it, it's not crushing the, the workforce. It's, it's not putting these families in danger. And that's the, the next question often is, is there retribution for the family? And can they be re-enslaved? And the answer is no. Because the way this is handled, because the appointed attorneys are handling it, in, and they're jumping through all of the legal loopholes, all of that stuff, there would be severe legal ramifications if there was any retribution for these families being freed. And on top of that, the family is relocated to an area where even if somebody wanted to search for them and find them, they wouldn't be able to. And in all the families that have been set free already, not one single family has experienced retribution or been brought back into slavery. It hasn't happened one time. Okay, so then... This is a harder question. Did the kilns just go and enslave new families? And the hard reality is yes, they do. Now, somebody has to find themselves in, in really dire circumstances in order to get themselves into this situation. But the reality is, yes, they will eventually find new families and enslave them. But that's not the problem we're solving here. Okay? Slavery is an enormous problem in our world today. In fact, there are more slaves today than there have ever been in human history. Okay, so it's a huge issue in the world, but the problem that we're solving here is we are freeing persecuted Christians from that problem. And here's where the scripture speaks to this. Proverbs 3.27 says, do not withhold good from those who need it when you have the ability to help. Do these people need our help? Do we have the ability to help? Then we're not going to withhold good. 1 Timothy 6.18 says they, meaning people with resources, which is us, okay, they are to do good, to be rich in good works. Romans 12.21, do not be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so church, we are going to overcome evil with good. We are going to be people who have the ability to help, we are gonna help those in need. These families need our help. And just as Jesus Christ paid the price for our freedom, we have an opportunity to pay the price for someone else's. Let me show you a quick example of a, of a family. Um, this is Buddha and Rafa. Uh, Buddha's the dad, Rafa is 
the wife and their children, Muska, Nero, and Sagar. They, until November 13th, had been enslaved for 11 years. They've since been relocated, connected to a church family, and are running their own small business. Y'all, those children, their children are free. And their children will be free. I want, you to, I want you to understand this because we don't, we don't have a category for this. Rafa, she had kidney stones 11 years ago. She went to the hospital. The medical bill was $115. They had to take out a loan. They were enslaved for 11 years for $115. They're now free. Their grandchildren will be free. And they were set free, and this, this was the cost, this is what they accrued over those 11 years, is $2,260. That's what it cost to set, not only set the family free, but set them up with a small business. That's what it cost. We don't have a category for this. We have no idea what this is like. And on average, the cost to set one family free, it's $2,500. That's the average cost to set one family free. And so here's what I want you to know. Today, I'm not going to set a numerical goal for us. I'm not going to say, hey, here's the, no, because the goal, here's the goal for us. The goal is obedience to Jesus. The challenge for us today is what would God have you give and obey him, whatever that is. And so we've set up what's called the Freedom Fund. And also what I want you to know, in most philanthropic efforts like this, someone is taking a handling fee or an administrative fee off the top, but I want you to know that 100% of what is given goes towards setting these family, families free and setting up their future, 100%. Not a penny is taken out for a handling fee or administrative costs, 100% goes to this work, okay? So here's the question for you and me today. What would it look like for us to pay the price? Jesus paid the price for us. What would it look like for us to pay the price for somebody else? So that somebody, a family on the other side of the world might experience the year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> might experience the freedom that he came to give us. And here's the question Misty and I have been considering and, and just thinking through as we head toward the Christmas season. Is what would God have us go without? So that somebody without freedom, could gain it. What, what, because the reality is we don't need anything. We don't need anything. But these families do. And a more direct way to say this is if this were your family, what would you want somebody to do for them? Um, the reality is these are our brothers and sisters. We're gonna spend eternity with these people. And we'll be able to look them in the eyes one day and know the good work that we were able to do. Practical. Next Sunday, December 11th, we're gonna bring our offerings to the Lord. And we're gonna see what God wants to do. And all around the campus, uh, there are offering boxes by all the entrances. 
You, uh, like me, may have become blind to these, so we're gonna have some extra signage kind of pointing them out so you know where they are. And, uh, and uh, you can leave uh, next Sunday when you come, you can leave your offering in those boxes and every penny will go towards setting captives free and setting them up for their future. If you're writing a check in the memo line, you can write Freedom Fund uh, or you can give online, you can scan the QR code and uh, this fund is open, is it open now, Jay? Okay, so it's open now. So if you wanna give before next Sunday, you're able to do that, but really the focus is, let's see what God does as we bring our offerings to him and sacrificially give so that people on the other side of the world might experience freedom. And listen, I, I do have a, a wish for Christmas, okay? This is my wish. What I'd like to do, I would like to give the devil a Christmas present. I'd like to just punch him in the throat. Isn't that an awesome image? Just a, just a full-blown throat punch. This is an opportunity for us to collectively make a difference, make a kingdom difference as we work with other churches to see people on the other side of the world experience the freedom that Christ came to give them. And so here's what we're gonna do. Logan and the team, they're gonna come back up and lead us. And two questions I'd like you to consider as we, as we celebrate what the Lord has done and what we have the opportunity to do. Okay, two questions are this. What do you need the Lord to set you free from today? What do you need the Lord to set you free from today? And when I ask that question, some of you, you immediately know what the answer is. You don't even have to think about it. What if you brought that to God and said, God, for Christmas, I'd like you to set me free from this and see what he does. So what do you need the Lord to set you free from today? And the second question is this, what offering would the Lord have you bring next Sunday so that a Jesus-loving family without freedom could gain it? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have set us free. God, help us to not waste the freedom that you have given us. Help us to not settle for a mediocre Christian life. God, help us to run the race that is set before us with endurance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And God, as we, as we fix our eyes on you, as we relinquish all of our rights, God, as we surrender again in this moment, God, we ask you to use the freedom that you have given us to set families free on the other side of the world. God, that men, women, and children are brothers and sisters in Christ who are enslaved might be able to run free. That they'd be able to have a second chance, another shot at life. And God, may we be people who look like you in the fact that we are willing to pay the price for somebody else. Recognizing that you first paid the price for us. We love you, Lord. We can't wait to see what you do in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, go ahead and stand and let's worship together.